0: coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, Mm -hmm. then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. Mm -hmm. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. But if this watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth, and warn them for Me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. This is the Word of God for the people of God. I'm going to share some history with you this morning that's relevant and matches up with what's going on in our church and in our community, in our region, and in our world today. In late 1854, the Crimean War was in full force near the Black Sea. If you're not familiar with where that is, modern-day Turkey is here, the Black Sea is above it, and then uh, Ukraine, Russia, is above it. The Crimean War was between the Russians, who in our story today represent the devil, and then the British, the French, the Ottomans, and the Sardinians. Some of those folks you may have to do some history on to know who they are. The Allied forces in our story represent all of humanity. This war was a religious war over Holy Land areas, specifically a key. What key, you might ask? The key to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, does that bear relevance for you? Some of us it does because we know what the Church of the Holy Sepulchre represents. It is the place where the tomb of Jesus Christ supposedly was and they built a church there as a memorial to it and a monument over it that is supposedly the most holy place where Christ raised from the dead. A very, very, very powerful place in Christianity. Obviously, on the third day. So there's a church there then whoever runs that also has the ability to control that Holy Land artifact. Well, there was a key. And that key was in factions. Six different Christian sects wanted that key. The Ottomans owned it. The Russians, who were part of the uh, Orthodox Church, Eastern Russian Orthodox Church, wanted the key. The British didn't want the Russians to have the key. And the French, who were more Roman Catholic, wanted the Roman Catholics to have the key. This war blew up over a key to the church. Crazy, huh? Holy Land Wars, you think they're dumb? Well, that one's been raged for years. It represents, this war represents, though, a battle of a key to the church, which in our story today represents the battle between Jesus and Satan over you and me. On this one particular battle, on October 25, 1854, called the Battle of Baklava, or Balakleva, depending on how you want to pronounce that, has often been told and retold for its inept handling by the Allied forces. It reminds me of the battle our church has taken against the forces of Satan. Not just ours, but churches around the region as well. On that day in October, the Russians had taken over four British forts on the northern rim of a mile long valley. They confiscated the British big guns, their cannons. The Russians also had taken positions on the southern rim and put their guns along that rim of the valley as well. Not only did they have the confiscated forts, they brought their own guns in and lined them up on the northern end of the valley. So you can see, if you will, the northern edge of a valley and the southern edge of a valley had rims on it and guns pointed down into the valley. On the east end of that valley was the Russian militia with more big guns in front of them. A few hundred yards. Basically on three sides, big guns. Well, on the north side where the Russians had taken the British fort, they had confiscated the British big guns and were beginning to take them back east. The general in charge, his name was General Raglan, was on a plateau above all of this and was watching it. And when he saw his guns, the British big guns being taken away, he was not happy. He was the British general, by the way. And he wanted to get those guns back. He needed them to protect the city. <laughs> he said, they're, they're taking it away and I can't get our big army mobilized quick enough the only thing I can do is use some horses because they move faster than guys dragging these cannons off. In the valley where the Russians were on the north side, the south side, and the east end of the valley, there were also more Russians in the valley along the edges with foot soldiers and people with lancers. And they had rifles and things like that that they were going to do hand-to-hand combat with. Now, I don't know if you understand how military works, and I'm not real good at explaining a lot of history, but this is real simple. The guns are in front of the foot soldiers, not behind them, because you don't want to hit your army. But in front of those big guns, usually you had this cavalry go out and do some quick fighting. Hit and run, hit and run type things. That was their job. So the British general saw all this that was transpiring. He wanted the guns back. And he had a brigade of horses with men with very light armor on them who could move quickly. And he said, they can take those horses right out after those guns and bring them back. And then we'll have them. Because they're nowhere near anything else in this battle scene. So I'll just send them, get them and bring them back and everything will be good. The only problem is the general was high up on a plateau looking over all the scenario and the people he was commanding to do what he wanted them to do were down low at the mouth of the valley. This fleet that he commanded to go get those guns is now known as the Light Brigade. Maybe you've heard the poem The Charge of the Light Brigade by Alfred Lord Tennyson. This is the story of what was happening. Now, General Raglan, in this position, overseeing the whole battlefield, represents God on our side. And he knows where he wants us to go. And he's trying to tell us, and he's trying to get us to do things, if we'll just trust that he sees what he sees, And go where he says, things will be fine. Now here's the problem. When he made the communication, he said, go and get our guns from the left. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? And when the one in charge of the light brigade got that order, he said... uh, Okay, maybe I'm supposed to wait for the infantry. Maybe I'm supposed to wait for backup. I'm not sure what this order means. Go and get the guns. Does he mean now? Does he mean later? And he doesn't do anything. Think of it like this. The church has been asked to go to the highways and the byways and compel people into the kingdom. And they say, well, when? When am I supposed to do that? I'm not sure. And we wait. Waiting for direction, further clarification, not sure what a highway is what's a highway? What's a byway? Said to one a lawyer or attorney, if you will, who's my neighbor? (laughs) Trying to justify that he didn't have to do anything. Then the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, this light brigade was a light cavalry force, not very many. They were maximized for mobility and speed on their horses. Unarmored, they carried no guns. You can imagine, if you will, that they're a quick strike team. A lot of reconnaissance work, things like that. Those people in that brigade represent the four hundred people we've been talking about within four miles of our church. They are positioned in a place strategically if they go the right direction they're going to find hope if they go the wrong direction they're marching to sure fire death now this valley that i painted a picture for you surrounded on three sides by the russians on the west end this brigade was now on that valley let me tell you this on the south side the russians had 32 cannons on the north side, 14. Eight guns at the end pointing straight down the can, down the valley. This general of the British Army summoned the captain and he said to him, go to the commander of the light brigade and tell them to advance. Now, Raglan knows what he wants. Go around and go get the guns and bring them back. And as he was leaving to deliver the message, Raglan called after this captain, Nolan, who he gave the message to and said, Tell him they must go now, immediately. He took the order. He didn't understand it real well either. And he went to the commander of the Light Brigade. Now, this man is the pastor. The Nolan guy is the pastor. He's the one sent to deliver the message from the general who represents God over to the troops to do God's bidding. And the message got confused. And so the commander of that brigade said, what are you talking about? What guns? And all the pastor Nolan, if you will, said to him was... They're over there! And just waved his arm. Very generic waving. And it looked to him, the commander, like he pointed toward the far end of the valley where the Russian guns were. And he understood, I've got to go get the guns. But he didn't know about the confiscated guns. He only knew about the guns where Mr. Nolan pointed Now here's what happens, and this is what happens with us. The captain in charge of the light brigade confers with his second officer. And he said, listen, we've just been ordered to go down into this valley, which is surrounded by Russian guns, and go get those guns at the end. And his second in command says, let me point out to you, there is a battery in front a battery on each flank, and the ground is covered with Russian riflemen. Now remember, the the Russian represent the devil in this story. The enemy is everywhere. We can't get away from the enemy in this world. And here's what the commander of the brigade said, I know, I know, but we've been ordered to go. And we're going to the guns. We have no choice but to obey. So they start. Now you can imagine this story, can't you? It's a death trap. It's a gauntlet. There's no way out. You have cannons on either side and in front of you, and riflemen and snipers all around. This is the time of our history when exploding cannon shells were invented. This is when stuff got bad real quick. But these guys were on horse, so they got an advantage because it's hard to hit with a cannon, a moving horse. So they got an advantage there, and they ride down into the valley, and the cannons on the north rim start firing. And they keep riding. Then the cannons on the south rim start firing. All 32 of those firing, and they keep going. Pretty soon the cannons in front of them start firing, and they keep going straight ahead toward those cannons. And half of them make it and they start going after the guys who got those cannons because they think they're supposed to get those cannons, and they take those gunners and run them away. The problem is there's no backup. Nobody coming behind them. Nobody coming for their defense. And the Russians know it. If you don't have backup in your life, if we don't have reinforcements on the front lines of this spiritual battle we're facing, guess what's going to happen? We're going to face the enemies on all fronts, and the enemy is going to realize we're overwhelmed. And that's what happened. And the Russian general made this command Bring the troops from behind the guns on the north and south hills down into the valley. Get behind the light brigade of the British. Then he ordered the militia which was beyond further east to come forward toward the Light Brigade. As the Light Brigade was trying to chase the gunners further east that militia started coming toward them and it stopped them and they turned around and they headed back into the valley. As soon as they headed back into the valley the guns on the south side the cannons started firing. The guns on the north side started firing the men with the rifles and lances in front of them, which had been brought into the valley, started attacking. Now listen to this. The Russian guns opened up on both the British and the Russian. They did not care about their own men. I want to tell you the devil is heartless. He doesn't care who dies in the skirmish. He doesn't care whether or not you make it out alive. As a matter of fact, He prefers you do not. As a matter of fact, what He wants you to do is think about yourself and not about everybody else around you who's going to die in this skirmish. Straight into the mouth of hell. And this is what happened. Is they were surrounded on all sides. Do you know, the enemy outflanks us all over. And the only way to survive in the midst of the enemy is to have Jesus Christ with you. Now here's what's funny. When the British Light Brigade got to those guns and those gunners who were manning those guns started the run, they thought they had victory. But when they looked behind them, nobody was coming to help. They were doing it alone. Now, can you imagine how that must have felt? We're out here doing what we're doing. We're we're winning. We're winning. But we only have a couple hundred guys left. And there's 6,000 Russian troops. We need help. And there's no help. And so they have no choice but to retreat. Back into the bloodbath. The death trap, as I like to call it. Here's how this works. We have 400 people within four miles of this church who are charging down into a valley called the Death Trap. It's the Mount of Hell. And the man who's supposed to warn them, Nolan, gets the order confused. And so when he gets the order confused and and he sees the light brigade going down into the valley, into the Death Trap, he says, wait a minute, I remember The guns are around the other way. You're going to die if you go that way. Don't go that way. So he gets on his horse. And he rides in as fast as he can to get to the commander of the light brigade to stop him. And he gets to him. And he says, Commander, to warn him. And he gets shot. And dies. From one of the guns on the north hill. He never gets to warn them. And they all ride in on the charge of the Light Brigade. We have 400 people within four miles here who are riding in. And all we have to do is say, listen, there's a way to get around this. There's a better way. Jesus Christ can save you from that enemy. they got addictions, brokenness, families struggling. Amy giving testimony today of what happens when that stuff gets really bad. And the church is sitting there going, someone else's job to do it. We're not here for anything but back up and say, we love you. And no one's going into the battle and saying, no, you're going the wrong way. And the mouth of hell is widening and going, I'm ready for them. Scripture in Proverbs 27.20 says the gates of hell are never full and that's why our eyes are never satisfied. And this Scripture tells me that if there's nobody to sound the warning and nobody to back up the guy who got shot who knows what's going on, destruction is imminent. I tried for eight years to get saved. I don't know if you've ever heard me say that before. But I tried for eight years and I couldn't do it. I'd go to the altar and pray and nothing would happen. I'd still be the same miserable person I was, get back up and go on my merry way, wondering why God didn't care, didn't love me. And I don't mean to say that He didn't hear my prayer, but that's not how He saved me. It wasn't until I was 15 and a half years old that He pulled me aside. And He said, You're mine. I want you. And I said, I've been trying for this for so long. What? Why now? He said, Because it's my way, not yours. I see from on heights where your life's supposed to go. And I needed you to go through what you went through in your Ignorance. So you'd have a story to tell when you came to the other side, alive and full of hope. I came to give you hope, is what He told me. I was one of the 400 within four miles of the church. Matter of fact, I was two blocks away from that church where I went. And I was just as lost. And nobody was looking for me. They thought because I attended and I was a pastor's kid, sang songs in church, I had enough. But no one ever said to me, do you know, do you belong to Jesus? Nobody. Nobody. It's the church's job to do that. God has called out and said, I need a watchman to sound of the trumpet. The enemy is marching. We are in spiritually desperate time. This country is sick. I don't even have to tell you to watch TV for you to know it. Or the news. (laughs) I don't even like watching the national news anymore because I get nauseated. But it's already time for the watchman to sound the trumpet. It's time to be saved. And the 400 around us are still marching into the death trap. Why? Because we're sitting inside the church or in our homes thinking it's someone else's job. Amen. Now, I've got to tell you, the ones whose job it is are getting shot and beat up on the front line, they're wore out. And here's, here's some, something I've got to share with you, and this really breaks my heart, but it's the absolute God truth that a lot of us think we're doing enough. That we pray, we go to work, we come home, we're tired, so we don't do anything for the kingdom. Maybe on Sunday we'll come to church, but during the week we don't have a plan. We're not out there trying to beat down doors. We're not doing anything. Why? Maybe because the message is a little confusing to us. But this world is crying and dying, and they need help. They need to know there's a God in heaven who still saves, delivers, and heals. And this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to communion. But I must tell you this, that communion says I join Jesus in His ministry. It is about proclaiming His life, death, and resurrection and His coming and final victory. That's what communion is all about. We say Jesus Christ died, He rose, and He will come again. This is the mystery of our faith. If we don't proclaim that, we're in trouble. I'm going to share with you one thing I was thinking about this week and I learned about communion. I think you'll like this. I think you won't like it at the same time. On the night He was going to be betrayed, He took bread. He broke it. He gave thanks to God, said, "This is my body broken for you. Eat all of it as will, in remembrance of me." As often as you do. <clears throat> After the supper was over, he took the cup, blessed it, gave thanks to God, said, "This is my blood poured out for you for many, for the forgiveness of sins, blood of the new covenant. Drink ye all of it as often as you will, in remembrance of me." Now I want to tell you the rest of the story. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let me share something with you. This was their daily meal. Bread and wine. Water wasn't always safe to drink there. Bread and wines are staples of every meal. Do you hear what I'm saying? He said, as often as you do this, As often as you take a bite of food, do it in remembrance of Him. As often as you take a drink of whatever you're drinking, do it in remembrance of Him. That you're doing it for His glory. That you're living your life for His glory. And you're seeking opportunity and asking God to give you opportunity to reach out to those who don't understand that hell is real. That there are consequences for their behavior. And until they are under the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, they're in trouble. And most of them don't care. They don't care. Or they pretend they don't care. Or they act like it's not a big important thing. Or it's an imposition for you to tell them about it. But it doesn't say, watchmen, if they think it's an imposition, you're off the hook. Watchmen, if they think that they don't want to hear it. Oh, you think they don't want to hear him, you're off the hook. He doesn't say that. He says, blow the trumpet. Yeah. Then all they hear. <laughs> and isn't it funny that the one who's coming for us is coming on a white horse. Yeah. A white horse. Now hear me quick. A white horse strikes fast. He's not coming with guns. He's coming with redemption in His hand and coming to gather up His we are watching the Dark Brigade go to hell all around us. And we are meant to be on the white horse to gather them up before the big guns get in. Because they've been taken captive. And I hate that. And I ask that God will break your heart for the things that break His. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask You to pour out Your Spirit upon us gathered here and all upon the bread and the fruit of the grape that it would be for us the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that we would be the body of Christ unto the world. Heavenly Father, the world is starving. They're needing food that does not satisfy drinking things that don't quench thirst, and they're still thirsty and hungry for more, And they keep drinking and eating the wrong thing. Heavenly Father, we have the key and gift of life in Jesus Christ. May we who hold the key not restrain the church from being open to all. This is my prayer. In the name of Jesus, Amen. 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 As we prepare for communion this morning, I invite you...